This episode is sponsored by Camp Carpe Diem, the coolest adult camp ever, where you'll come to explore your interests, find your tribe, all at Ure, Colorado, October 2021. For all the information and to come hang out with us, go to campcarpediem.com. That's C-A-M-P-C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M.com. We're going to get giddy in October. Those needs and necessities in community and conversations and all that, like, just seem to kind of naturally happen around a beer or something, too, yeah. or a campfire. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Like, travel and beer, to me, are always, like, hand in hand, you know? Well, and you were sitting in South Africa yeah. having beers that spawned Moto Sonora. You know, I think, I think what's ultimately true is we're making beer. We're very privileged here. We're making oh, yeah. a product that makes everyone who drinks it, generally speaking, people happy. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Welcome to our sunny Sunday morning. Wait, maybe. Maybe it's not Sunday where you're at. Or it is. It, it could be. I don't does, know. It doesn't matter. We're, welcome to your... <laughs> hopefully it's sunny where you're at. Or if it's snowing, that's okay too because snow is beautiful. Or whatever it's doing. But anyhow, welcome to... Uh, Craft Beer Travel and Adventure. Yeah. Anyhow, we In Arizona. Are, we're in Arizona, right? On the Colorado River on the border of California and Arizona. Today. Yeah, and it's February while we're recording this. No matter when you're listening to it. But... It's freaking gorgeous here. It's um, it's in the mid-morning right now and already like 60 degrees and sunny. It's just beautiful on the Colorado River. And yeah, it might be snowing where you are, but we're snowbirding this year. In the point, for a little bit. The point to talking about uh, the temperature and the weather is, well, because we want to tell you where we're at and set the scene. But the point of talking about this is when we did the interview with Jeremy and Joel from Moto Sonora Brewing Company, who is what you're here for because you're going to listen to them more than us but the point is is we were on the patio talking to them as well because it was another beautiful southern arizona day in tucson yeah that was in tucson and patio is kind of a misnomer i mean that is they have a patio but man their beer garden is fantastic like they have fire pits um spread around outside and they just the way they built moto sonora was you can tell that these people are outdoor enthusiasts that that conceived of this place because they really set up and this has nothing to do with COVID or the pandemic or whatever. They just set their place up because they love to be outside and they love to hang out with people outside with beers around the fire and stuff. And it shows it's freaking beautiful. It's and it's a relatively newer brewery in Tucson, but man they're making a splash like instantly everybody is like you got to go to moto sonora you got to go to moto sonora and we're very glad we did yes but and and that's it when we showed up to do the podcast it was noon and the sunshine was out and um the two of them so jeremy's one of the owners and joel is the um, head brewer but the two of them were sitting out um by one of the fire pits just sitting outside enjoying the sunshine drinking a beer so when we sat down and came in and like came in and sat down and introduced ourselves um, it was just so nice and sunny and we could have totally moved inside and given you like a perfect sounding podcast. However, I think when we sat outside, we gave you the real perfect sounding podcast. But if we were inside, you would have the echoist cavern of the space and you would probably have a freaking glycol machine or something kick on mid podcast. Like it always happens. Yeah. <laughs> but just without fail, anytime we're inside the brewery, yeah. which is fine. It's cool to have the sounds of the brewery around you, I think. I love that. But, you know, ev- without fail, almost every single time, some piece of machinery kicks on <laughs> that, That's okay. that, that doesn't just sound like, oh, this is a working brewery. It's like, <laughs> That's annoying, right? I'm annoying, so so is that machinery. So a long-winded way of introducing this is basically talking about us sitting on the patio having a beer. But... That's kind of, and that's totally what it was. It's like we were just sitting around, hanging out. Um, and, yeah, there's going to be some background noise because we're on a road, so there's some cars. And um, But the, the perfect thing is about this 
is that moto sonora, which you'll find out, is like the sound of engines. That's what it means. And yeah, I think it like matched up perfectly with that. The noise isn't as loud as we're making it sound, so please no. forgive that. It just sounds like you're sitting on a patio drinking beer. That's not where I'm going with that. Well, that's what we were doing. So yeah, it so sounds right. That was it. That's all I was talking about. But I loved how it kind of matched up with what Moto Sonora is about, which is the vehicles, the engines, and the overlanding, and all the piece of shit vehicles that people <laughs> use to get to the places that they want to go. So like overlanding in Africa, for example, um, South Africa, and then or doing trips to New Zealand, or it's it's Moto Sonora is about. I'm gonna let them tell you the story because it's a great. It's not all about the beers that they have it's just their travel life and their full-on lifestyle and surfing and adventure and that's why we loved them it's what inspires the beer and the place yeah and really it is i mean they do a great job of combining both the beer and the place um to make it a really cool experience and it for me it really stood out in tucson even though there's a lot of fantastic breweries around town there tucson has um, a great great brewery scene yeah Great brewery scene, great mountain biking scene. It's warm. I like Tucson. It's pretty spread out. I mean, it's about a million people with all the different neighborhoods yeah, the and suburbs stuff, and things. But yeah. it doesn't feel that big. So no, it's really easy to get around Tucson, and and there's a lot of culture going on in that town. You might not think so when you drive by on the highway. You just kind of see uh, it looks kind of typical city. city and big box stores and stuff, which every city has, but. When you get into the culture of the place, I mean, the art everywhere. There's there's mur there are murals, murals all over the downtown and just outside the downtown area where a lot of stuff's going on on Congress and stuff down by the college. Um, but it's just a really cool scene there, I think. And I mean, it's very very bike friendly and a lot of outdoor enthusiast stuff going on. I mean. It's different than a lot of places, but there's a lot of, like, outdoor adventure. Like, uh, I want to say, like, uh, side-by-sides and OHVs and jeeping. Um, uh, so you were saying that it's, like, different here. And I'm going to say that, yes, it's different, like, with the landscape and things like mm-hmm. that and the weather yeah. and climate. It's different than some places we've been. But at the same time, it's the same. Because everywhere we go and all these different breweries and the communities that we seek out and find ourselves in it's always again about the people and so i oh, like yeah. so part of their yeah. logo is like an oasis what do they say for moto sonora an oasis in the desert yeah so i'm just i think i like calling basically. it now like an oasis of people so everywhere we go we find our own little oasis and so this is definitely one of the oasis how do you oasises oasis? oases okay cacti cactuses i have no idea can we introduce these guys we probably should okay. because people are probably laughing at us right now. We hope. Or they're rolling their eyes, which is probably, probably the a better, little bit of both. The better response. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jeremy and Joel, they'll introduce themselves too, but here they are. Um, yeah. It's all about it's Welcome to Moto Sonora, Tucson. There you go. Hey, what'd you say about good beer? What's that? Good beer is the entry point? It kind of is, yeah. Okay. Where are we at? <laughs> Moto Sonora Brewing Company in, <laughs> in Tucson. Tucson. Um, we have goofy beginnings all the time. Oh, all right. Just, you know. I was like, are we live? <laughs> We're live. As live as you can or be on Memorex, a podcast. Right. right. Could be yeah. Memorex. <laughs> so I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves because I'm going to completely butcher your last name at least, Jeremy. So. All right. Uh, I'm Jeremy DiConcini, one of the founding partners of Moto Sonora Brewing in Tucson, Arizona. And I am Joel Hatlin, the brewer at uh, Moto Sonora Brewing in Tucson, Arizona. Thanks. Now that we have established we are Moto Sonora Brewing... I don't know. Tell us maybe briefly about the name. Where did that even come from? I'm going to start with the name because it is definitely unique. Uh, there, were, there were a couple of strategies with the name. We wanted something that captured the brand that we were trying to build that was sort of this adventurous sort of road-based, you know, concept. Whether you're on an old motorcycle or even like you guys in an RV or whatever, where this sort of beer is an adventure kind of thing. But we also wanted it to seem sort of local. So, and then on top of that, we wanted something that we could actually use that nobody else had used before. So, you know, we went through a like hundred different iterations and, and it came to the point where you're like, okay, we, we, we just kind of need to make something up and come up with a word that no one's ever heard of before. And so we took the Italian slash Spanish prefix moto and attached it to the word Sonora. We're in the Sonoran Desert. We're right next to the uh, uh, Mexican state of Sonora and sort of Sonora as a concept is a thing you know, like a lot of the culture kind of crosses the border. So 
that's where we landed at Moto Sonora, and then that, luckily no one else had thought of that. Um, and then it's kind of cool when you go to trademark something, you know, they have to translate it, even though we weren't really going for a translation. Turns out in both Italian and Spanish, Moto Sonora means the sound of engines. And I was oh, like, oh, which that's... Which we have right we overhead right now. It's perfect. <laughs> Got a pleasant flying over here. rips overhead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was how we, we came up with that. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, you know, because you're making something up that's never been said before. And you're like, is that cool? Is it dumb? You know, you ever yeah. have that thing where you, like, look at a word or read a word too many times and almost loses its meaning? Yeah. Like, that sounded cool to me 10 minutes ago, but now am I overthinking this? But, but as we've gone on... Um, I'm pretty stoked. It's like you were saying though, beer is like the entry point and you're talking about names and how names are important as well as to what you want to get people in here for and along with ambiance. You can't just like make the beer and expect people to show up. Sometimes you can. Yeah. I mean, because people still want really good beer, but you also have like the, the, the surrounding area and your patio and inside and everything that matches what you started with your name. So names are important, but also what you built. Yeah, I mean, if this were 20 years ago, you know, we could have probably built anywhere and the quality of the beer would have been enough to get people in the door. But, you know, there's, I don't know, what, 10, you know, 8,000 breweries in the country right, right. now. So, yeah, you, you, I mean, you definitely have to have make, make the best beer that you can, um, but also try and stand out in some other ways and, you know, stick in people's minds. So on that front like Moto Sonora, where does where does that all stem from? Because that, that isn't just a name that represents the place here as well. It kind of represents your background, I think, too, right? As what? far as, well, like, the, like you got your concept. How did you even come up with this brewery concept years ago? Okay, well, yeah, the original idea came uh, when we were traveling in 2010 in South Africa. We'd rented these trucks with these rooftop tents, and we were traveling around, and we were sampling all these different crazy beers in Africa. I know Africa is not really known for its beer scene, but a lot of stuff you'd never even heard of before. You're like, hey, what's this? We'll try it. Like, and then you yeah. know, you'd end up talking about it around the campfire, you know, and you'd compare like, well, we had this Toyota truck, and how's your Land Rover doing? Oh, it's a POS or whatever. And so like, and like, what do you think of that beer? I don't know. We'll try one of these. And so, you know, the beer is just an integral part of the landscape of traveling that you're, you know, you're doing. And so my brother and I, who was on that trip, was like, you know, it'd be really cool to open up a, the original idea was to come up with like a, a really good beer bar and say and get all these you know exotic styles from around the world and, and serve them there and then as the years went on and we learned more and more about beer um, not just from a consumer standpoint but from a manufacturing standpoint we realized that you know the best beer is the beer that's closest to the brewery mm-hmm. and that you know rather than try and get some exotic beer from wherever and by the time it's got to me it's been on 20 different boats and sat on loading docks at you know temperatures in Indonesia and who knows and maybe the beer's ruined by the time it gets to you. You have very little control over what happens to that beer along the way. So we could control the quality and brew what we wanted and create that experience from start to finish Um, you know from from like you said the beer garden and the tap room but you know to the actual beers themselves so we, we Joel just brewed an amazing Doppelbach you know that you know, I, I, it's just the beer is freaking perfect as far as I'm concerned. Nice. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, we could have, we could, if we just had a bar, we could get Doppelbach from Germany, but, you know, who knows what shape it's going to be when we get here. I mean, that's not to say that you can't get good beers, but there's just a lot of question marks in between right. where it goes in your mouth and where it was brewed, you know, if you're getting stuff from overseas. So that, that was it. I was, I was doing industrial real estate in San Diego and uh, near a lot of breweries like uh, Ballast Point, Nail Smith, and I had a friend of mine who wanted to open a nano brewery, and it kind of opened my world into the economics of, of brewing as opposed to just being a bar. And the timing was kind of right. We found this building. I was like, Jeff, let's let's uh, let's let's try and push forward with this. And, and here we are, four years later. Um, had kind of a tough first year with COVID, but yeah. uh, you know we're still here. The beer's still good, and uh, we couldn't be happier. Oh, the beer's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And then if you guys are curious about the beers I poured yes. you, that yes. is our session IPA. Uh, called understeer yeah 4.7 yeah 4.7 i love that beer and that is our uh uh, silver medal gabf winning uh malt liquor so it's basically an american lager we were told about that one that we had to try it while we're here the malt liquor and this i will have to say is one of the best session ipas i've ever tasted because i keep trying to find one that i like and they all kind of fall flat they all kind of have that empty it watery, thin or hollow. really thin yeah, yeah, yeah. not much flavor to them yeah i would never they guess try to hop session. it up and it's like okay but it's still 
just something's missing. But this, Whatever, yeah. this I, actually has some body to it too. I mean, I, 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 that's my go-to beer. And Joel was even when we made, it, he's like, I think I can make this better. I'm like, well, maybe so, but this is freaking amazing. <laughs> like, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't stray too far because that's great. Yeah, it's sort of just a. Uh... It's a play on our, our the original double IPA we had when we started here was oversteer, so understeer is the sort of right. lower alcohol version of that beer. But it has the same treatment I would give to any double IPA, honestly, in terms of how we hop it, in terms of the philosophy that I believe in when it comes to flavor and hops in general, which is to, again, uh, overbittering is never my thing, and mm-hmm. I, like, I like flavor, I like aroma, but just trying to keep things accessible and... and I think it works really well in a session format. So. A lot of flavor in this one, too. Did you just dry hop it quite a bit? Or? A lot of dry hop, uh, a lot of very late Whirlpool edition um, after a little cool down. So nice. just pulling out all the flavor, all the aroma you can from those hops and let them sing and just making sure that the base beer is able to keep up with that. Sure. Speaking of the right beer, here. not yes. to like really downplay that whole thing like it doesn't matter about the beer. It matters oh, no, about it, the it totally matters. Totally yeah. Because you can't, you'll come to a brewery maybe for the story, for example, but you're going to come back because of the beer. For sure. <laughs> right. Even if the story's good, if the beer falls flat, then that's a key piece of the puzzle yeah. too. But So how did we land on Joel as the brewer here? Why wasn't it like you or your brother or oh, somebody? Oh, God, because we wanted good quality beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys ever, had you ever brewed before? Yeah, I, you know, like I helped some friends homebrew. Like, I never took it seriously. I never even had my own setup. And then my friends who had a nano brewery in San Diego, I would brew with them and, you know, if I was helping someone who was good, we could come out with a good beer. But if I was leading the charge, I just, I, I mean, I know what it takes to make good beer, and I don't have that that sort of personality for it. You know, right. you need to dig, lean deep in, and maybe I can let Joel speak yeah, to this. Sure. Well, do you consider yourself a brewer or a scientist or an artist or oh, all man. the above? Yeah, or? I'm a brewer, nothing more. I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think brewing is, I mean... Obviously, there's elements of a lot of different things involved in it, um, especially when it comes to sort of like how do flavors work. Obviously, that's like more feel than it is uh, science. Obviously, a lot of what I do is science, but there's also like aspects that aren't science. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think uh, I think brewing fundamentally is like uh, a. a practice where you try to just do the same thing over and over and over again and I mean in certain ways that sort of seems like um, a tedious exercise and just keeping your mind focused Um, I think the ideal outcome is if you did the same thing six months ago you can do the same thing right now Um, so I think from a from a brewer's perspective I think that's the kinds of things that um, when I when I find brewers that I'm excited about those are the things that they're thinking about is like how can I repeat a process how can I do the same thing and how and actually not just do the same thing but how can I do it more efficiently and so um, yeah I certainly I don't know there's scientific parts of it there's artistic parts of it I guess but um, I think it's uh, just a different sort of brain space than a lot of the things that you might want to compare it to. How long have you been in the in brewing? Brewing. Um, professionally, I've been brewing for, I think, pretty close to 10 years, uh, maybe a little bit more at this point. Um, I was a home brewer before that. Uh, I started uh, in Chicago, where I lived my whole life until that moment, um, working for a brewery out there. It's awesome, called Metropolitan. Um, no one outside of Chicago knows who Metropolitan is, but if you're a brewer in Chicago, that's your favorite brewery. Um, they just make the best lagers that you can find, at least in the Midwest. Um, and that was like sort of, I just started volunteering on the bottling line one day, basically, because I wasn't very good at anything else. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I can at least do bottling. I know I can do that. Um, and just sort of worked my way up through them. And then uh kind of just had spent my entire life in Chicago and and I don't know if you guys have been there but it's it can be tough to live there during most of the year uh, mostly because of the weather and uh, it's frigid I, it's frigid and it's super hot and it's super humid and it's super dry it's all the things and uh, all the things all the things and none of them are I mean you get like five good days a year and usually you're inside during those days because you're unlucky um, and so I just wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to go somewhere else and, and try something new and, and learn and grow. And 
so I, I packed up my 2002 Honda CRV and nice. I uh, put everything in there that I could and I did like a little trip across the country and ended up in Seattle uh, after a few months and uh, found a buddy who was willing to take me in. And I didn't have a job, I didn't really know anything about the Seattle beer industry, honestly, I just knew that it had a good reputation, but I didn't really know any of the beer. It's pretty insular up there. And uh, a few weeks later, caught on with a brewery in Redmond called Black Raven and, and brewed there for about two years and then two and a half years. And then uh, for a variety of good reasons, ended up moving to a brewery called Georgetown, which uh, makes some of the best beer that I've ever been around and some of the best people I've ever been around. So. That's, those, those are the places where I cut my teeth. And what are we drinking now? You guys are drinking a beer called Popo and Moto. Uh, it's a pale ale uh, that um, has loads and loads of Motueka hops from New Zealand in it. Um, mostly all late edition and dry hops. So it's pretty, it shouldn't, it shouldn't read too bitter. It should just read super flavorful. Yeah. Maybe some juicy fruit or those kinds of flavors, mango. Um, uh, highly inspired by uh, some some great beers I had in the Pacific Northwest. Um, just trying to bring those vibes with a little bit of Kiwi energy. We just came from the Pacific Northwest. That oh, area, yeah? so I love it. It's so great up there. So he, okay. you came to Tucson, um, and you are from here. Yeah, I grew up here. As like everybody can see me pointing at people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you, Jeremy. <laughs> yes, so I, I grew up here. I left. I left Tucson right after college in the late 90s, moved to LA for about five years, and then moved to San Diego for not quite 20 years, and then moved back to open this place. That's sort of a short version. So you knew good beer from there too, right? San Diego so for sure. LA, so that was the thing. Like in the 90s, you know, that was kind of the first craft beer boom. I was really kind of getting a taste for it. I remember I got a keg of Anchor Steam for a party in college, oh, and wow. I was like a legend, you know? But then I moved to LA in the 90s, and LA at that time was a beer desert. Yeah. Like, everybody just either drank Budweiser, or if they were, like, really, really getting after it, they would drink Stella, you know? And then <laughs> it was crazy. And then I moved to San Diego, and then, you know, I, I knew uh, Tommy, who's our partner now uh, from the Lost Abbey, and, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I forgot. This is what beer can be, you know, because, I mean, yeah, there's just, there's just so many good breweries there. Oh, yeah, there's a ton now. And, and actually, Tucson's blowing up quite a bit, like, the last... I don't know, maybe two to three years, maybe? Yeah. Then I mean, it's really exploded. Yeah, when I was in college, I mean, when I was a kid, there were zero breweries here. When I was in college, there were two. One's gone and <laughs> one's still here. So, yeah, I think there's now maybe low 20s, something right. like that in this town. So, yeah, it's definitely blown up. So, where have you traveled to? Speaking like the, the different beers and stuff, where is all the different places you've traveled? Everywhere? Okay. Because I think a lot, of, a lot of the whole concept behind this brewery is, comes from you and your brother's travel. For sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, once, uh, so I'll just start thinking just close to home, like in college, my brother and I, we rode motorcycles from here down to Cabo and back. It took about a month to do it. Um, you know, then when I was in college, I was, I was studying abroad. I was living in Guadalajara in the summers, studying there, and I drove. Once I took the train, that was pretty rough. I was really broke. It was like a $30 train <laughs> ticket from here to Guadalajara. Uh, but it takes like cool. almost 40 hours. Oh, um, and there's no like compartments or anything. It's terrible. Um, but a good story. And then the next summer I did it, I drove. And then I would drive, you know, through the countryside. And I was pretty obsessed with surfing for a long time. Um, I'm feeling better now. But, uh, you know, I was just like, <laughs> like, I was just always driving to the coast. And so there was like a good decade of my life where I traveled a lot, but it was heavily tilted towards uh, surfing. So if I was in Mexico, I was headed to the coast. If I was in Ireland, I was headed towards the coast. You know, if I was in, I mean, I did a, I did a study abroad program in law school at, uh, through Florida State in Barbados at the University of the West Indies. It was clearly wow. a surf thing. Although it was actually a difficult program, a lot of banking law, stuff like that for these Caribbean tax havens, but Do you digress. have a favorite surf spot? Oh, I, you know. I know that's hard to say because everything. Yeah. I'm not going to sure throw like anything, anything down that's not widely known, but you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm <laughs> right. a sucker. You can't do that for surfing, yeah. right? That's like, I'm a sucker for the, the right point breaks that California and Baja have. Even though I'm a goofy foot, you know, Rincon, Malibu, you know, uh, Scorpion Bay, like there's just San Miguel, like California, Northern California, or Alta California and Baja California have so many like right point breaks. And just, I guess I just like point breaks. Yeah. Um, so you, do you surf at all any time? Do you go somewhere so you can still surf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still, I still, luckily, luckily, because it's been such a tough year, I still have a little bit of a job in San Diego. So I'm back there once a month. And so I leave all my boards out there and I, I usually get in the water. Uh, 
and, yeah, we're on there. and I'm kind of sorry, but kind of not sorry because we get to hear, be here and hanging out. But yeah. like we kind of interrupted your day of possible skiing in Tucson. So. Oh, it's all good. No, it's it's fine. I, the weather burnt my day on Tuesday, and there's so much work I have to do today. That's it's totally fine. Yeah. So if I if I didn't we go skiing today, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Save me for my bad decision making. Um, yeah. And if sure. you're listening, yes, they're skiing in Tucson. We didn't know that either. Yeah. That's hence we left our snowboards yeah. in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, so. We interrupted you from telling us all the places you've been. Oh yeah, so I guess so. The, there was a pretty surf-heavy travel period. Lots of Hawaii, Fiji, uh, Barbados, El Salvador, Costa Rica, some places in Europe, um, and then the South African trip. I was with a bunch of guys who didn't surf, but I that sort of started this brewery. I brought a surfboard, and at one point they were like, "Hey, we're all going to go to Cape Town and party." I was like, "You guys have a great time." Dro- someone dropped me off in Jeffrey's Bay, picked me up in a week, and so I just surfed down there, and so. Um, I'm trying to think that's probably it i've done some i've surfed in uh, lake michigan you know really? i've surfed in some weird places nice. like if i was if i just happened to be there there were waves in lake michigan i surfed there uh, galveston texas mm-hmm. you know just like so um did, did you did you do the baja 1000 ever? no no i was never a racer okay i was more of like a fan i i'm more into the adventure part of it now i like the racing imagery like you see behind you the targa florio and that kind of stuff okay. just because it's so sexy and beautiful and dangerous um but I, I'm definitely more about like, you know, I mean, I think Baja is amazing. The 1000 is amazing. And, and if I ever had the money, I would do it in the cheapest VW Bug class that they would let you do it in. <laughs> I just have never been able to put the time and money together to do that. How much does it, so it costs a decent amount? I don't know, really much Well, I mean, Baja like the, the, the trophy trucks and the like factory teams, okay. they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions. And I think you win like five grand if you win the race. So it's all about <laughs> bragging rights, which is why that's a really cool race because there's no money in it. Okay. Um, but you can do it, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the class, but there is the like stock VW Beetle class. Probably, with all the safety equipment, the the car is probably ten grand, and to do the race in entirety, you get with volunteer support, probably another ten grand. So you can probably drop twenty thousand dollars and do it. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's real money, but it's not like, you know, it's Bill not, Gates. It's money. not like, insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's achievable. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe five years from now, assuming I could still, you know, think drive a car well, maybe the brewery could sponsor a team. I mean, that would be that would be that would be a dream. Um, but most of my Baja adventures have been in like Jeeps and dirt bikes and things like that. Just going like, well, what's that? Where's that next village? Well, they say it's through the dunes this way. All right, let's go see if they've got a bar and see if they got any cool beer, <laughs> right. you know, kind of thing. So let's, so that, that's so, kind of how I, I live. Little Red House. Oh yeah, <laughs> Little Red House, you have to tell that. <laughs> what's that? So we stayed, uh, when we were in Baja a little over a year and a half ago. It's a small um, village. We, uh, yeah, we stayed. South of San Quentin. At so an RV park, I'm doing air quotes for yeah, yeah. those of you listening. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a guy named Fidel who has his own prop, uh, property down there that's an RV park right off the beach. It's okay. right on the beach. Fantastic. It's not off the beach. Right. Well, you're on the yeah, sand you walk, on the beach. You walk 100 feet and you're in the water. Yeah. So we stand there and it's in this little village of, I don't know, maybe 150 people or something. If that. If that. And, but there's a school there. So they don't have any bars. They can't sell alcohol in the restaurants because they're too close to a school. That's still a thing in Baja. But if you know the right people, they will direct you to a little red house where there's a guy who sells Tecate. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's great. It's seriously just a house, and I'm like... And they're like, you go up, and we're like, wait, what? That little red house. It's like, we're like they're like, thirty yeah, at night. Yeah. You go knock on the door. Yeah. Little yeah. lady comes up to the door, and she's just like... And you tell her, uh, we're kind of unsure, and in Spanish, we're like... Necesito uh, cerveza, por favor? Yeah. Because it's all Spanish. Beer, and she's like, oh, yeah, go around to the back door. Well, that's cool. So you go around to the back door, and this guy comes out, and he's like, "Do you want azul or roja, or rojo? What's azul? Red, red the or light? blue? Red or blue? Azul. Yeah, is, but is that like Tecate yeah, light? What's the beer? Exactly. Oh, yeah, okay. Tecate red is the regular, okay. and then Tecate blue is the light. Six or doce? Six or twelve? <laughs> so that's great. It's kind of a fun way to get your beer in Mexico when there's not well, a bar I mean, that's nearby. That's kind of the cool thing about Baja. I mean, it's basically right at our front door here, and oh, it has yeah. like the sort of remote feeling that you get in. I imagine, you know, Saharan Africa, not that I've been there, but it's like one of the last frontiers where you meet genuine people just really kind of surviving. On Baja, yeah. they say no one ever starves because you can always catch a fish, but it's a desert, man. Like, it's not easy living there. So those people are tough, and they're not afraid to improvise. And just a really cool, cool way to yeah, live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, so I mean, I, again, I, to me, when I was a kid, going back to your original question about Baja as a concept, to me, that was like growing up in Tucson, that was like the frontier. What's out there? What, what's in Baja, right? What's this exotic sounding name? You know, even mainland Mexico, which I went with my dad as a kid, was cool, but like Baja was this just place and like watching the Baja 1000 and watching surf movies and stuff. And you're like, what crazy shit is happening out there? And it is different. It's not it's not mainland Mexico. It's a no, very it's totally different experience. Different. Yeah, it's a totally different totally culture. Different. I mean, it's as different as, you know, South Carolina is to Tucson, as right. Maine is to Seattle. Like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I think the people from Mexico City, like, they, they think of Baja as like the sticks. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, what are, you, what are you doing going out there? It's all it's all sand dunes and scorpions. Like, you're nuts. I've loved, yeah, I think I've, I'd like to, I, it's, you know, the thing with the travel thing, and I'm sure you guys know this, is once it gets into you, it's just hard to get out. It's you know, hard. I, yeah, I feel like, travel I, bug. yeah, I feel like I've never been anywhere, right? Just because there's so many blank spots on the map that I haven't been to, and, you know, and, it's uh, like I, you know, this year kind of got hosed for a lot of reasons, but I'm really looking forward to going up to Yakima for hop harvest. Oh, nice. Do a road trip up to yeah. Washington. Go to, you know, it's just, it's win-win it's across the board. It's, it's, yeah. You don't have any Roy Farms things on. I don't. I don't. You we actually, we just caught the Roy very, we were like just the there. very, very end of hop harvest oh, in awesome. 2020. Those guys are really sweet. Yeah. Roy Farms. Yeah. yeah, we caught them on their last day and uh, uh, Andy Roy gave us a whole tour of the place and like it's just incredible the, the smell of those hops oh, yeah. coming in off the field i mean oh, it, it's for incredible us, but for you guys it'd be even more amazing because yeah. you get do you actually get, get to go pick hops and stuff for your own or do you guys well, theoretically yeah so because could. of our I, I, we didn't really cover this and i don't know maybe your listeners may not know but one of our partners is uh, is tommy arthur who started the okay. lost abbey in san diego and so he, he's been instrumental in helping open doors for us for that type of stuff and so yes theoretically we could do that it all got canceled this year but the plan was to go up with him and start looking at lots of different hops and going you know yeah we'll take these we want these kind of thing and that 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 makes your life you know going back to the beer quality thing that makes your life a little easier you can contract for a specific lot of hops rather than going hey what's available on the spot market right now and what condition are they in you know because if you want consistency you get that same lot for the whole year right as opposed to you know different harvest times and things right like that. so you don't have to pick what you can get from here, here, and here, three different hop suppliers for the same hop, right. and then they're all different. Yeah, so we get Motueka like, for Why this? is your beer different yeah, every exactly. time I come in? So yeah, the only Motueka we could get, let's say, is two years older than the lot we'd already used or whatever, and, and right. maybe it wasn't kept in good shape, and it's like, now you end up with a different beer. So that, with your partnership, um, I guess that gives you a lot of buying power and stuff. Well, yeah. More I buying mean, power just, than you'd have on your own. I for think. sure, because, you know, again, they, they, buy, they buy so many hops that if there's some small amount that we need you know they might have them i said like yeah just, just burn out to san diego and i've got to go there anyway so it's like great let's let's hit it and so and you know that it was it was a good lot and you know it was picked well and so it's just, just really helpful in that regard that's cool it's like having a really good big brother right, <laughs> yeah. right. yeah joel have you had a lot of chance to travel at all or do you have that bug that has been I, well, you, I, you know he's made it from chicago to seattle yeah, that's I, a lot of travel i have in the I, US. I've, I've been done a big circle around the united states for sure um I don't have the same adventures as uh, same sorts of adventures as Jeremy and Jeff have, but I um I was dragged along when I was a kid. Sure. <laughs> dragged along. <Yeah. laughs> I think I think I didn't appreciate it properly at the time, but my parents uh, took me on a lot of uh, cross-border uh, trips and such, and I think at the time I was a little uninspired, and I was just excited about what was on television. Which border? <laughs> well, I've been. I've, or both borders. Well, I've been to. I mean, I've been. Man, I've been all through Europe. I've been to Central America. Oh, okay. I've been to. Um, we've done continental, non-continental United States. Uh, we've done various sort of uh, Caribbean adventures. Um, and again, I was. I was. Can I swear? Yes, please. Oh, yeah, you can I swear was a little shit. <laughs> and and I I uh, I didn't I didn't. Uh, I certainly didn't appreciate what they were showing me at the time, and I didn't take advantage of the spaces you I was in. Never do when you're that nope. age. <laughs> uh, probably the most formative adventure I, I've ever gone on. Uh, uh, I went um, shortly before I saw the light and said I shouldn't be doing my desk job anymore. I went down to New Zealand for like uh, I think it was like three weeks or a month, and just by myself visiting a friend who was uh, doing a PhD down there, doing part of her PhD down there. And just traveled around, uh, just traveled around New Zealand. And obviously, drank some good beer and, and drank some good wine, but just like really, just got myself out there in a way that I'd never gone out there. 
and actually appreciated, uh, I think for the first time, the aesthetic of planet Earth. And uh, I almost didn't leave, but I did leave and I came back home and that was when uh, I was like, I gotta get out of this whatever I'm on, path I'm on, whatever this desk situation, pathway thing. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was volunteering at Metropolitan Brewery, so that was a big moment in my life. So you turned to beer. I turned to beer. <laughs> that I had would a, be my beer new solves thing. everything. <laughs> to be clear, I had already turned to beer. I just didn't know it yet. Right. <laughs> Wait, like we've been working together for like a year now, and I, I didn't really know that story or I forgot it because I had a similar New Zealand experience yeah. where I was down there for like a week basically, and I had this camper van, and I had this government job, and I was driving around New Zealand. This camper van going, "What am I doing? Yep. This is the guy I want to be." Yeah. And yeah. I immediately quit. I, like, as soon as I got back, I like basically put in my notice. So, like that was that's New crazy. New Zealand is a, a special place. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, we haven't been to New Zealand yet, but no. I mean that is definitely Imagine tar- a target. The for Pacific sure. Northwest, but like on the most steroids ever, right. and. Yeah. Also yeah. with like volcanoes coming out of the ocean. And 10% of the people. Yeah, 10% of the oh, people. Right. Yeah. And you're up snowboarding or skiing, and then you're that afternoon you go down to the beach. Yeah. Yep. It's amazing. That's what I keep hearing. And yep. We have friends who live on a sailboat down there now. They just moved onto their sailboat just full-time. Just moved onto their sailboat full-time. Full yeah. Did they sail it down there? No. no. So they, no. they we met them in Colorado, and they moved. They've been in New Zealand for like four years, and then just before Christmas, they're like, we're going to do this. And a year and a half ago, they knew absolutely nothing about sailing. Oh, wow. So in that <laughs> year and a half, they learned how to, well, they bought a boat, they learned how to sail it, and now they just launched While working full-time. full-time jobs and stuff, and now they're they're doing all of this. They like, jumped right in the deep end. Yep. Big time. <laughs> Literally, figuratively. Literally, figuratively, <laughs> everything, yes. Yeah. But that's, it's funny how, like, okay, so now you brought it up a little bit with, like, vehicles and to get you to the places that you need to go, and that's another piece that brought up Moto Sonora is, like, yep. your... I love your, uh, your, what, your piece of shit vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your PLS. Yeah. Those, those are the most interesting stories, right? right? Like, you can go buy a brand new Toyota Camry, and it'll take you anywhere you want, but there's no real story associated with that. Okay, so pick an interesting story and tell us about it. Okay. One that you love to talk about. So here's, here's, here's one. So I was in college. I, had, I was lined up. This was right after that motorcycle trip to Baja. And I was lined up to be do a, a Capitol Hill internship in D.C., and I had to be there in like a week. And I had a, I had like a Honda or an Acura or something, some some decent car. And I just drove by this like the shadiest used car lot you would ever buy anything from. And there was like a bright red Ralph Romeo Spider sitting there, and it was worth about what my my Honda was worth. And I'm like, I can sell this car and buy that Alpha and like drive it across the country. And my parents are like, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe, but I'm doing it. And so like Italian car, like old Italian car, there's no way you'd want to do this. So, and I did it and it was fine. The thing ran great. I think it was a little misaligned. I ended up having to put two tires on it somewhere in South Carolina, but I drove it to DC (laughs) for the summer, spent the whole summer there, then drove down to Florida in the Keys, got scuba certified and then drove back in a, in a two seater, you know, Italian car that somehow didn't let me down. I mean, it was amazing. Um, And so that was like, that was generally, I think, across the board, considered a bad idea, but it actually worked out great, oh, yeah. and the adventure Spider. was so much better because of that. It's not like it was a camper van or something. Right, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah two-seater, two-seater. So did you sleep car. in that along the way? Or did you actually I think I did stop once. and stay in No, I usually, I, I think it was a three-day trip, so just two nights getting out there. I think one night I did sleep in it, one night I got a hotel because it was raining and pouring, and I was like, all right, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I, 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 was, I definitely got to drive bed most nights. Well, we've had our own little adventures. I had an old Jeep Wrangler. I absolutely love Wranglers, and I have no skills or knowledge to be owning any of them or to be (laughs) taking them on four-wheel drive treks or anything like that. But I love playing that game like like I know how to do what I'm doing. But we had an old Jeep Wrangler, and it would take take the top off. It only had the hard top and the bikini top. That's all I had with it. And the second it decided it might stop snowing in Denver... (laughs) <laughs> that hard top was off. Um, it was way too early to take it off. Of but then I'm not putting it back on until the winter starts again. So we had this little tiny bikini top. And our kids at the time were like, what, four and, I don't know, 12? And so I remember driving them to preschool, a four-year-old. Yeah. We'd bundle up in the morning <laughs> underneath <laughs> the bikini top. But then the other thing is we would find um, snowboard turns all year round. So in the summertime and stuff like that, we would go up to the mountains to get our snowboard turns and we'd hike and do that. Yeah. And we would often drive the Wrangler. And we would get caught so many times in storms in that thing. And we'd have two people in the back seat and two people in the front seat. And the front seat was kind of covered with the bikini top. And right. the others in the back are like 
pulling a tarp kind up of pulling over. a tarp up over them trying not That's, to get. Yeah, jeeps are jeeps are great that way because yeah. they give you all this freedom. But at the same time, like you're gonna pay for it one way or another. Yeah, oh, but yeah. that top was not going back on until it was snowing again. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible though, like just talking these stories, like how much travel changes your perspective on life. Yeah, it really crystallizes what's important. You know, whether whether you're in a tiny car, or motorcycle, or even just backpacking around Europe or whatever, you're like, all right, well, I guess everything I need is in this bag. Now, granted, I'm counting on society for lots of things, but yeah. you know, but at the same time, you can you can really pare down what you think that you need. But those needs and necessities and community and conversations and all that, like, just seem to kind of naturally happen around a beer or something too, yeah. or a campfire. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Like, travel and beer to me are always like hand in hand. You know? Well, and you were sitting in South Africa, yeah. having beers that spawned Moto Sonora. Yeah, I mean, now what? About ten years later, yeah. I think. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but that's incredible. You know, you're just sitting there, you're just traveling, having a good time, maybe trying to find some waves. Yeah, have some good beers, trying to find good beer, and then all of a sudden, now ten years later, which is after ten years, it's a blip, right? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, that like really doesn't seem like that. all that much happened in between there, but yeah, um, a lot did. But yeah, it's 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 been a long, crazy road, but it's also been a fun one. I mean, yeah. this has been a tough year for us. You know, I've worked probably harder than I ever had. I still got another job someplace else, but I, it's all, I, everyone keeps asking me like, "How's it going?" I'm like, no matter what, this is still the best job I've ever had. When did you open the doors <laughs> for Moto Sonora? We opened the doors. So the fire marshal said, okay, your, your push bar doors are acceptable. You can open today on March 13th. Oh, God. And so, like, March 14th, <laughs> like, call all your friends. We're doing a soft opening tonight, and then we're going to do a grand opening next weekend. No, you're not. Yeah, and then it's like, yeah. So we had our soft opening. It was fun. Everyone had a good time. And then by Tuesday, they're like, yeah, everything's closed. You can't You can't, you serve can't have beer. your grand yeah. opening. Yeah. We joked we were going to do our soft opening March 14th, 2020, and then our grand opening March 14th, 2021. <laughs> yeah, we're having our anniversary <laughs> party on the 13th. Like, That's yeah. basically our grand opening. That's basically our grand opening. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Oh, wow. How was it to survive that those first couple of months? Oh, God. Everyone was working harder than they wanted for less money than they wanted and, you know, doing jobs they didn't want. Like, we, you know, we weren't brewing enough beer. Joel had to be a bartender. Like, we were just like every... It was just like all hands on deck just trying to triage and stay alive and make predictions based on what the government was going to do what the disease was going to do all these other things you know it was way out of our ability to predict so it was just like oh, yeah it was it even was the like, experts can't predict yeah exactly you know <laughs> so it was just like just so yeah the goal was all right let's just try and survive a tucson summer and keep the lights on yeah and then if we do that let's survive the pandemic and then we'll do all the stuff we talked about doing two years ago and and once we got past those first few months and we were allowed to have some limited service in the backyard uh, we were able to really then sort of breathe a little bit more. Still, I think we're holding our breath a little bit, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Jill's right. Big shout out to the, the people of Tucson who, who really, like, helped us get through the year. Obviously, there is no Moto Sonora without the people who showed up to drink the beer. And so, like, they, they, they saved our, our butts. I can tell you, we didn't spend less money during the pandemic. We, like, spent <laughs> oh, all yeah. those money on takeout beer to support the breweries that we were Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah local I mean. breweries, if you have an opportunity to throw a few bucks at, they, they need it. So we were, we were fortunate that people realized that about us. Yeah, 100%. So what have you, whoever can answer this too, like what have you guys noticed about travel and people? Is there like, how do I want to ask this because I don't want to put words in your mouth. When you travel more, what kind of different perspectives does that give you about the world? Um, well, or does again, it give you a different perspective? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The short answer is absolutely. I think I'm a big believer in the more diversity you have in your life and personality, the less ignorant you're going to end up being. Um, and I think it's impossible to go to a new place and meet new people and talk to them and get to know them and come away thinking less of them. I think uh, sometimes we have biases and you're confirming certain suspicions you might have about whatever it is that you're biased about, but largely every time I go to a new city, whether it's been like I said, Seattle or Tucson or Auckland or, you know, the limited amount of time I got out of the cabin when we would take these cruises around Europe. I think the more time I spent around these people, the less I thought of them as sort of caricatures or pictures in my mind of what they ought to be and saw them as like, oh, these are actual people with real thoughts and real, real opinions and my proclivities might not be to agree with them, but they have really good reasons for believing mm -hmm. what they believe and it makes it a lot easier to 
have a have a real conversation not just with the people who you get to know but also you come back home wherever home may be and all of a sudden someone else might be caricaturing them and you're like hey that's actually not not the way it really is and and that to me uh, is as good as anything when it comes to getting to the true source of whatever humans are I agree with that I think you know I think no matter who you are I think there's a there's a psychological trend that if you stay within a certain group you feel connected to that group but then you feel disconnected from the the world as a whole so you're like oh these people I know are good but all those other people I don't know about and so you're easy it's easy for you to believe that you know south of the border you're gonna get your head cut off as soon as you cross right right or whatever right and then you go to those places and you realize that you know I mean granted there are places that are dangerous you know more than others but by and large most people most of the time are very good in a one-on-one you know scenario I mean if you're in a place that's getting bombed by fighter jets then no obviously that relationship is not good but like if you're on the ground meeting someone and talking with somebody almost all of the time you're gonna you're gonna come away with a positive experience and I think I think more than anything um, it confirmed one thing that I've always suspected which is people mean well people try to do good and they try to be good people and it looks different from every perspective and to not judge what one person's good is from another person's good and I, I think it's really easy to like walk into a place and be like man there's whatever no good food here but it's, you don't you might not understand what good food is to these to the people who you haven't yet to get to know like you think of someone who gets vilified both rightly and partially wrongly on the internet uh, someone like the poacher who takes out the rhino that is extremely at risk of being off the planet of Earth forever, and you're like, you want to vilify that person, but then you realize this is this is the way in which they're able to do the thing that they want to do, and we need to, you know, not to get too haughty here, but like, the problem is not that person, the problem is the problem that brought him to that place, and I think traveling really imparts that. Yeah, I think that's very true because, I, I mean, we've seen it a lot too and when we travel and I think it always boils down to me. Most people in the world, I think, want to be good, want to do good, and they just want to be loved and exactly love somebody else, you know? The, mm-hmm. Like the same thing you're saying mm-hmm. is like, the thing is, is we judge or people judge each other no matter where you're from, but just on not knowing, not understanding. And when you get in that situation and you start talking to somebody, it gives you a whole different perspective. And it kind of opens your field of vision, I think. Mm-hmm. Even when we come back home and then you're talking politics with somebody and you know, politics is always this like, oh crap, mm-hmm. <laughs> shit's gonna hit the fan. Mm-hmm. But but if you open your perspective and listen to people and talk to people, you know, kind of form different ideas 100%. and different opinions and, 100%. and maybe understand them. Absolutely. Why are they the way they are? Absolutely. No, I, told, I could not agree with that more. That's, that's exactly the sentiment that I, I that's a good way of finding perspective that like you know i think we have been largely lucky i've been large i've been extremely lucky as a human being um, for a lot of very good reasons um the list goes way beyond however long we could talk for um and i think i think it's important to always um to i think okay let me let me pull towards a very personal thing I take, I take what I do very seriously. I take what I do very passionately. And oftentimes I go home and I'm frustrated and it's not always Jeremy's fault. Um, and, <laughs> 75% of the time. And, uh, you know, I think, I think what's ultimately true is we're making beer. We're very privileged here. We're making oh, yeah. a product that makes everyone who drinks it, even the people who don't like the physical flavor, feel better. Mm-hmm. At least in my mind, that's the ideal outcome of it. And like ultimately, as angry as I could possibly get about this, I live a very privileged life where I get to make this thing that makes, generally speaking, people happy. And that unto itself means that I need to sort of check myself every time I think a little too hard about a frustrating thing that happened. Because ultimately it's in the context of you're doing something that very few people get to do, which is do something that truly you're happy to do and make people happier in general. And so I think COVID's a kind of a good metaphor for that, where it's like, yeah, this is this crazy time, but ultimately, hopefully, it's just a blip. And ultimately, we look back on it, you know, it's not gonna be like 
no one's going to look back on it fondly. Some people <laughs> might look at it as a moment that they had some good outcomes, but no one's going to be like, yeah, let's get that again. But like, it also allows us to take a moment and be like, it's pretty lucky that this doesn't happen. All that gate, that gate happens all the time. But it's pretty lucky that COVID doesn't happen all the time. It's pretty lucky that this is like not normal. It's pretty lucky that like we get to in non-COVID times live a life that is universally more comfortable than almost anybody else on planet Earth. And uh, I think that's worth celebrating and drinking a beer over personally. Cheers. Hell yeah. Um, Cheers. I really want to end on that. All right. Let's end on it. That's a great move. We could end we on probably that. Should. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming down. So, man, that's like a pretty profound conversation, I felt like, um, for a brewery, you know, when you come thinking of brewery stuff. But that's what we love doing, too, is like getting the people behind it. I mean, because you, you guys know by now, we always are talking about people and stuff. And... And like us, and and I think a lot of you, traveling, you know, gives you a a perspective, a different perspective than if you're, if you spend all your time in one spot and not moving around very much um, and getting to meet a lot of different people from different areas who live their life differently than you. And I don't know where I'm really going with that other than to say it. I think travel just gives you such a great perspective on all kinds of things around the world. It helps you understand other people better. It helps you understand situations that you might otherwise be very judgmental of and gives you a better understanding. So even if you still are critical of that situation, you have a better understanding of where the people are coming from. And I think we apply that then in our everyday lives yeah. to just simple situations even. And it's helpful in that. Yeah. I think it just expands everything for you to yeah. a degree. Yeah. I don't need to say anything else. I just think I have to say like cheers to the vehicles, whatever they may be, that get you to the travel, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Agreed. How about that one? Because they already said it. You guys had a great ending. Um, Joel had a great ending. Talking to Jeremy throughout all this was great. And how beer shapes your life or... Your life and your travels shape the beer you make. Like all of those kind of come together. So it's both. It's and, a yin yang yeah. thing. And it's the vehicles. <laughs> it's the vehicles that get you there. But yes, cheers to the vehicles that get you where you want to go. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Peace out. No, not not yet, because we have more to say. What should they do? <laughs> uh, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. Share it with your friends. Uh, leave us a review. That helps a lot. Um, if you want to come to our website, livingastoutlife.com, and our podcast page, we have a, a buy us a beer button if you would like to buy us a beer. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah. thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. And may you find sunny days. How about that? Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.